Welcome to Out of Ratio, the podcast where we break free from the constraints of traditional thinking and embrace the extraordinary world of early childhood education. I'm your host, and together, let's embark on a journey that challenges the status quo, pushes boundaries, and nurtures the seeds of innovation. So get ready for captivating interviews, thought-provoking discussions, and inspiring stories that will challenge your perceptions and ignite your passion for early childhood education. Let's get started. Welcome to Out of Ratio, the show where we explore the multifaceted world of early childhood education. I'm your host, Justin. And I'm Sam, and today we have a remarkable guest who has worn many hats in the ECE industry. She is a mom of four and one of the amazing people that I have the pleasure of working with at Bertelson Education. It has been so amazing getting to know her and work with her. Joining us today is Tiffany Turner. Tiffany, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. Tiff, could you take a minute and introduce yourself? Give us a little bit of background of your journey in early childhood education and uh, maybe tell us your favorite food. Sure. So first I have to say, this is my first ever podcast. So I'm very excited. I'm thrilled to be here. So thank you. Um, I am Tiffany Turner. I feel like my early childhood education journey kind of started when I was little. I always wanted to be a mom and a teacher. And if you ask my five younger siblings, they will tell you that I played that with them or maybe made them play that with me all the time, house in school. So I was lucky enough to be able to come that when I grew up. I went to Clearing University, which is now called Penn West. I worked for a lot of great local schools in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. I got to work with some smaller schools for kinder care education, for learning care group, you know, now Ferguson education. And I just love advocating for the early childhood education community. Um, as far as food, I am a vegetarian. Um, so I love all things, salads and veggies and all that yummy stuff, but I would say comfort food, mac and cheese. So that's a little bit about me. That's a, good- uh, a fun fact. Um, I have a daughter named Tiffany who was named after her grandmother. Uh, so it's kind of, uh, confusing around my house when I have work meetings, when I'm talking to Tiffany and my Tiffany comes in and it's like, what do you need dad? But coincidentally, my Tiffany's favorite food is mac and cheese as well. So thank you for sharing that <laughs> Tiffany. Lovely. We had that um, in our car this morning. We were, Alex and I were talking about um, our company-wide trip to Orlando. And I was saying, Darcy, my daughter is, I really think she's going to have a lot of fun with Tiffany. And Alex was like, what, what, what? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like, why is, <laughs> Tiffany is not in charge of hanging out with Darcy. And I was like, I see your confusion. Not Tiffany, my <laughs> colleague, Tiffany. <laughs> the daughter of Justin. He was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> I would probably have the most fun with the kids, honestly, but, yeah. <laughs> but that does make sense. And I think that's so interesting, Tiffany, of having the most fun with the kids. And as we've been on the podcast, the people who work in early childhood education, some just have a real knack and they really love being with children in early childhood education. I love, I've been branded as the fun uncle in our family because I, I'm the one who takes the the kids outside and tries to find a game with them or something like that. And perhaps it's my paranoia that they're going to break something inside that I just <laughs> say, okay, let's go outside guys and let's do something. Um, but I think that's something that is a real asset in the field of early childhood education that's missing in a lot of fields. Mm-hmm. But tell me 
your your role as a first teacher. Tell me when you first became a teacher in early childhood education and what that experience was like for you. Yes. So um, right out of college, I actually didn't get to get in my field right away. I got a job in retail at Coach and I, I had a discount there. So that was a little, totally threw me off a little bit, um, but great products. Nonetheless, I eventually got a job at KinderCare. Um, I was hired for a management role, but they didn't have enough teachers in the infant room. So they're like, you, we need your help in the infant room. And I was like, well, I'm not a mom, but like I helped raise my five younger siblings. So, you know, I know how to, I can just jump in, you know, I've done, you know, things with them before. Uh, it was life-changing. Like I couldn't wait to be a mom even more being entrusted with these little people these little humans that were just learning and growing, growing, you literally can just feel and see their synapses and, you know, just learning and picking up new things every day. Um, and it was amazing. I, I think the best teachers are the ones that are really just excited to learn. And so you go in there and you can't wait to see these little, these little friends of yours and learn more from them than I think that they could ever learn from you. And so every day was just a new adventure of, you know, on their developmental journey, whether they're learning or maybe they're, you know, allergic to this formula, or we found out that these two are little buddies at three months old, or, you know, it's just, it was just so much fun. And I couldn't wait to be a part of the journey with these kids. And for the longest time, I never wanted to leave that school because I knew those babies and I just wanted to follow their journey from the toddler room to the early preschool room, to the preschool, to see them go to kindergarten. And so, um, which now many of them are graduating high school wild. Um, and I, and, you know, and I got to teach them to read and to hold their bottles and, you know, all that fun stuff. But it just, it was pretty amazing. Diff, you touched on something that was, uh, has happened a, a lot in early childhood education, especially as we're going through this like labor crisis of right. directors and administrators having to be in the classroom. Sam, can you talk a little bit more about what that dynamic was for you? I mean, is that something that you experienced in a center? And what does that look like in the industry? Yeah, I... The center that I worked at, I think we were really lucky in terms of a lot of what's happening in early education as a whole right now. We're seeing, you know, labor shortages, but we're also seeing it really tough in some places for schools to get enrollments. And one side of that for us, the enrollment side, we live in a place where like my neighborhood and where my center was, there's just not enough centers for all the kids. And so enrollment was not necessarily the worry that we had at that particular center, but finding teachers and then retaining teachers was kind of always a looming discussion that every year as the as the year kind of came to an end, we were a school year. So a lot of our teachers would stay for the school year, finish out the school year, and then they would leave um, if they were going to leave. Luckily, we did not end up, I know a lot of centers have people leave all the time. Um, we didn't necessarily have that. But the last few years I was there, we were running into teachers not telling us they were not planning on coming back until very close to the beginning of the next school year, or just not being able to find people who fit the school, fit what we were looking for, and wanted to come and teach little kids. And um, one of my favorite parts was the last year that I was there, we had so many parents of our students or parents of former students who came on as teachers. And it was 
just so wonderful that we had so many people on our staff who had been at our school and knew our mission and our vision and believed in it. And they were there because they wanted to be and not because they had to be. But I was my last year, both a assistant director and a VPK, which is our free preschool fours and fives class in Florida classroom. So three days I was in the classroom, uh, which only left two days for me to be in the office as one of the directors, which as you may think, made things a little bit difficult. So it it definitely took time away from administrative stuff, although I loved it because I think there's something really special about being in a classroom. In terms of how the school functions, it makes a big difference when you don't have enough people to fill every role or enough people to give you the cushion of, hey, so-and-so can't come in today someone to call in, to have a floater, who if someone needs to leave the classroom, they can take that spot. When the administration takes on those roles, other things don't get done, whether that's, you know, budgeting gets pushed or parent communication sometimes is the thing that gets left on the table. Wherever those priorities are, something else can't get done if an administrator is in the classroom. So it definitely can be a challenge for a lot of schools. Agree. Tiffany, as in your experience as a director and then a director of multiple centers, did you see that happening? And how how did you guys work to help those situations when that was happening? Um, yeah, across the board, it, it was happening. Um, and I think when you're a part of a really big operation and you have really large schools, um, it, it's prone to happen a little bit more, it's easier to happen. So, you know, two of the schools that I, um, uh, helped with had 40 or more staff. Um, so, you know, if teachers get sick and, you know, like there's a bat of strap throat and cold of loose going around, it's, it's hard to find replacements, you know, for those teachers. So, you know, you have a strong management team that can step in and do that. But like you said, then all of the things that, you know, you need to run the school and that only those niche kind of um, leadership team people may know, they all fall to the wayside. Um, so then it just makes the job even harder. Or you get to the point where sadly, sometimes when I remember I was over school in Pennsylvania and Ohio, um, Ohio had a really, it was just staffing was harder there. Um, the schools were spread a lot further apart. Like it took us like hours, you know, like an hour at least to get to a sister center or just another location, um, Mm -hmm. where we were, you know, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania was a little bit quicker. Um, but it was just hard to get replacements. And sometimes you would just be out of ratio. So you would ask, you would have to ask parents, you know, I'm so sorry, would anyone want to keep their child home today? Like we will give you a credit on your tuition, but we'd rather not run out of ratio and be completely honest, but we just do not have the staffing to provide safe care. And so I'm so glad that the industry is able to accept those moments and be transparent and honest, but it's also just so sad that that is the world that we live in, that education is not top tier. And I know this is like a crazy concept, but just taking this a step further, it's like, entertainment is something that we as Americans value so much. Imagine if we just flip the script and put education and investment on education top tier 
and entertainment. And it's like we paid our teachers and we, and so it was something that was so valued that we would never be understaffed. It would be the most popular role, you know, like it would, it would be the most popular career. It would just be such a great investment. So, um, that's something that I think about all the time because that's why it's hard to get people in the door is, you know, the money and the funding and, you know, the perks are not there and on something that's the most important job you can essentially have your investing and young minds investing in the future. One thing that we've seen from a lot of the research that's come out from different organizations like zero to three is the critical nature of brain development from zero to five. Mm. Um, And how, how true I think is what you said. Imagine if kids were in high school not talking about being YouTube influencers or TikTokers, but instead they were trying to say, I'm going to lead a classroom to do this cool project. And perhaps that's different in other countries, but at least in the United States, education in general, whether it's public education, you know, the K through 12 system or pre-K is viewed as sort of like, oh, this is something that is just, it's just a part of our society, but it's not like a valued part of our society. I think of like ancient Greece, you know what I mean? With like Plato right. or Socrates, like these guys were the coolest in the whole place because yes. their thought leadership was able to move their culture forward. Mm. And I think if we as Americans can decide, okay, we want thought leadership in early childhood education and public education to lead us forward and to kind of change the trajectory of our country, I think that would be helpful. Um, sure. I'm curious... Tiffany, because you worked in in corporate childcare, and there seems to be a big difference between corporate childcare and like the one-off mom-pa shops. Can you talk a little right. bit more about the differences and the similarities between those? Yeah, you know what? I worked at both, and they're both just magical in a different sense. You know, obviously bringing to light, you know, and just really nurturing young minds in you know different ways. Um, I will say, corporate really has it down because this, they have that business mindset mindset as a foundation. Um, so they have their policies and procedures in place. They know the right things to do for children, how to keep them safe. Um, you know, what you do in the event, if this happens on the playground versus if this happens on a field trip, or, you know, you have that safety net of that corporate umbrella that really knows the right things to do for children. They've put in the man hours and the research and the work to do things the right way. Um, and they're really constantly innovating um, with how to improve the just employee experience as a whole, you know, how to keep their employees engaged, how to advocate for them mental health wise, just on several different levels. They have, you know, these different departments in corporate that can really do the research and put the efforts in to invest in the teachers. Um, So I say, you know, from a teacher and a leadership, you know, standpoint, it's really something phenomenal to be a part of corporation. Um, And, you know, children too, they research their curriculum. They do these amazing things that really just test the boundaries and step up. But I think just even being a part of smaller centers or centers that aren't a part of a corporation, it, they absolutely value, they have the same values um, and they do wonderful, um, you know, research. They don't necessarily have the capabilities of a corporate, but there's something just so magical about being 
you know, like you walk into your favorite restaurant or a local and it's like, you're just, you feel special. You feel known. You don't feel like a number. You feel just something that's like a part of this full circle moment that is so valued um, that I think that small mom and pop or, you know, they have that capability of doing that and really bringing to light those individual goals of children and families and building those relationships. Um, Not to say that corporate cannot, they just have those different highlight levels that really make them stand out um, that what I've noticed. And, you know, either way you go, you can't go wrong. You know, you're investing in your child's education, but that's kind of what I've seen the most stand out um, in both. Yeah, it is interesting. So my, I have not had a corporate experience. My experience was in um, a, a small preschool that was privately owned. And we always used to joke about not having an HR team um, because it's kind of one of those things where you think like, oh, well, if I have a problem, who do I go to? Well, in like corporate America, you go to HR. Well, I am HR. Welcome to HR. Come into my office, Um, you know, (laughs) which might be like a closet. No, a (laughs) a closet or like a classroom with a bunch of sensory bins. Welcome. Come in. It's time for our our session today. But I think you're so right when you say they're different, but we need different models because not every family needs the same thing. Not every person who's going to work in early education needs the same thing. And having a variety of places for people to find childcare, but then also to work is really important. If it was the same thing across the board, some people would really struggle to fit into whatever that model was. Um, For sure, corporate has, you know, HR teams, and they have, you know, policies and procedures that are written, they definitely have the like, business side of things really down pat, which, you know, whoever owns a smaller center, their background is going to greatly affect how those things are done. One of the other guests we've had on Robin Perlman, like that is what she does. Her She has a company that takes teachers and early educators and teaches them the business side of running uh, a school because it's not really as an educator something people teach you how to do. So for me, that experience was, uh, I remember sitting down and looking at bylaws that had not been updated in over a decade and going, maybe we should go through these together, you know, and it's just that that wasn't where the priority was. The priority was on the things like you were saying, where it's making people feel welcome, making them not feel like a number, knowing, I remember our director was, I want you to know every kid's name. I want you to know every mom's name, every dad's name. If the grandparents come in, I want you to know their names. And we address people by those names because it makes them feel valued and it makes them feel welcome in a place where they're entrusting us with um their most precious of things in their whole life (laughs) right like you matter Um, yes so yeah i think you're spot on that you know both have great things to offer and the variety is what ensures that everybody finds the place that works for them and for their family absolutely i completely agree it's both are needed Mm-hmm. One thing that we talk about a lot at Burleson Education, and I definitely I love talking about, is our pillar of 
we have three pillars, but one that I love very dearly is family focus. Because these directors and these teachers are so family focused. As if they're doing a good job, they're focusing on the families. And Sam, what you alluded to of knowing their names, even though as parents they're running out the door and we don't have a ton of time to sit and chat about how my son or uh, daughter was, you know, wrote her name for the first time. You know, that's a big deal. But hey, we got to go get dinner. The principle of family focus, I think, is is easier to adhere to or to live by in a smaller center. But if you have the right people in a corporate childcare facility, then you can continue to live and integrate that family focus. But I think as a family, what is important is to find the right childcare situation for you. It's important for families to feel that the places that they're that they're at, whether it's a pre-K classroom or whether it's a second grade classroom, that their family is being supported. One of the ways that things and families are supported is through like adherence to policies. And we touched on that a little bit. Oftentimes there's things that get pushed to the wayside, you know, just let's just shove this in the back closet. I don't know if some of our listeners all have that closet somewhere where there's maybe a mop, some old toys that are <laughs> that you didn't have the heart to give away, but are no longer approved by the American Academy of Pediatrics. The old curriculum. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yes. Like old time cards, whatever, this yes. closet that's like, maybe it's kind of like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where it's like you go we in, all have that closet. in yes. a different world. Um, but it's important for us to, to know what are the rules and what are the policies so that an organization, whether it's a small 10 staff childcare facility or whether it's a multi, you know, that's 50 to 100 teacher organization, that's important for everybody to be on the same page as what policies are. So Tiffany, question for you, what was it like as a director and as an area manager for following licensing requirements or like compliance. Tell me about compliance in your roles. Yes. My, it was tricky. So I would say the first year was the most tricky because I became a director, you know, I was assistant director and then I got my own school. It was a different school and I transitioned there. And in my mind, I was like, I want to do, you know, a spaghetti and science night for November. And I can't wait to do conferences and meetings with my teachers on their lunch break. And I had all these great engagement ideas and ideas for curriculum. And and really it was like, I need to turn the school around because it seems like we, we're we missing some policies and procedures. Um, and then I wasn't fully in the know of all those policies and procedures. So the first thing that I did was really just keep a paper copy. And then we're trying to get away from paper. I saved it on my desktop and kept a paper copy of my licensing handbook for the state of Pennsylvania. And I called my licensing rep and I was like, tell me what I need to know. Because, you know, coming from the classroom and coming from the side of like, yes, I knew how to run checks and when I needed to go to the bank and when I needed to charge tuition. And I understood how to do a tour, but I knew some of the licensing regulations as a teacher, I did not know them as a director because, you know, I'm meeting all these new families and a family came in with their new puppy. And then thank goodness for the lead preschool teacher is like, that puppy can't be in the building. That is a licensing regulation. I know they're excited to show you, but we'll get a citation immediately if another parent, call, you know, and into those things, I was like, oh, okay. 
lovely to see you, little Jazzy. Um, okay. And also, you know, you're just like kind of balancing. So just making those relationships. And I called my licensing rep and I said, I want to be fully transparent. I would love 365 days to learn with you. I just want to learn with you. And if I have a question and even maybe it's not, it doesn't need to be a question. I still would love to have a great relationship with you. And her name was Heather. She was eventually promoted to the head of state licensing in Pennsylvania. She's amazing. And I could call her and say, you know, we want to do these outside playscapes for summer and we want to use um, noodles and balloons and, you know, no balloons, no balloons in the state of Pennsylvania. You can use noodles while sighted with, you know, an adult in a structures activity because, the, you know, the film can come off. It could be a choking hazard. Same thing with balloons. Just there's different things you're going to learn for the whole first year. Um, and then as far as transitioning into my role as a multi-unit um, leader where I was over more than one state. After one year, Pennsylvania, I had it down like the back of my hand. You know, you can't have glass bottles in the building. You you know, you can have a um, special guest and be out of ratio for 30 minutes, two times a day, um, you know, within an eight hour period. Or, But I had to then learn regulations in different states. You know, lucky for me, I took the ones that I knew about Pennsylvania. And then I had amazing teachers and leadership where before things happened, I'd pick their brain and say, can I have 30 minutes with you today? Here's what this is like here. Are you able to transition if you're at a ratio? Do you, and Ohio have to have a special note in order to transition up a child that says they will eventually be visiting this classroom, but we're going to have them, you know, if you don't send out that formal note, they can't move to another classroom. You know, there's different things and pieces and really relying on your team around you to learn those nuances and the leadership. Don't be afraid of your licensing representatives. Call them, be friends with them be transparent. I think that was the biggest tool is just building friendships and learning and growing the entire time, I think was the part that helped the most. I think there's this notion in early childhood of being afraid of the day that the licensing rep walks in. Yes. I had a great relationship with our licensing rep. I love her. Her name was Paige. I hope she listens to this. I hope I see her at the Flagler Volusia conference because she was like my favorite person when I saw her walk in the door. One, because we just love to chat. But two, she really was a resource for us. And that's where I feel like we've got to kind of change this idea of being afraid of the licensing reps, like this feeling that they're out to get you and move that conversation to how can I use them as a resource? If I'm worried I might have an issue, call them, talk to them. I can't tell you how many times I just- called her up and was like, hey, hypothetically, if this happened, um, is this a problem? And, you know, she would tell me yes or no. And we would figure out a solution to to that very hypothetical problem. Um, yeah. Because I was trying to make sure that before anything happened, I had the information that I needed, which absolutely comes from a mix of being very um, type A and having anxiety. <laughs> I'm the same way. Proactive instead of reactive. Let's be hypothetical. <laughs> and before we cross that bridge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think something that's really interesting is that sometimes we demonize like the different departments or the compliance people like, oh, they're their big brother. They're coming in to check on me, <laughs> you know, but right. the people that I know that have those jobs have that job because they love the big picture right. stuff. 
they feel, okay, well, I want to be in a place where I can make sure that children are safe. And as we take a step back and we say, what is my job as an early childhood educator or a director? We say, oh, well, my job is to ensure that children are safe, children are happy, children are learning, and children are developing appropriately. I think those are the same things that a, a compliance checker, whether it's at the state level, whether it's a, a licensing rep, whether it's the Department of Early Learning or the Department of Health and Human Services, whatever it is in your state, I think that's their goal too. Their goal isn't to be some sort of police that come in and say, oh, glass bottles are out. Right. It's like, hey, glass bottles are not okay because they could shatter and they could cut. Yeah you know, children, which is like not, you don't want kids to get cut. You know what I mean? So I think as we take a step back and really try to humanize these people and to Sam's point of try not to be afraid of them, I think they're just people. Yeah. They're just people and people who have probably more in common with you than you think. Like, yes. Yeah. More so than any other industry. I will say the early childhood education industry has some of the most kindest understanding um, versatile and innovative people that you will ever meet because that's how we have to be. It's ever evolving and we have to be understanding. You know, we are the examples. We're leading the way for children and usually little eyes everywhere we go or little ears are listening or looking up to us. So, you know, these are the best people to work with in most cases in any other industry. So it's like, let's all work together. Teamwork makes a dream work. Okay. On that note, Tiffany, I know we share a heart for really taking care of staff and making the teachers and your staff members feel appreciated and seen and heard and encouraged. Can you talk about some ways that you really worked to, or maybe tips for anyone who's listening to really help ensure that our staff as directors or as area directors are walking a path or we're helping them walk a path of that mental, physical, and emotional, that like holistic kind of wellness. What can we do to support them in that? I love that. I love that you're thinking of the whole person, just like as we would the whole child. Mm -hmm. So I think that leadership, whether you're in the school on the ground or you are helping like middle management or you're planning your, you know, a multi-unit land group, no matter where you are, I think that you have the ability to really change the lives of your teachers every day. And so really just understanding that we're all coming from an education background. When we have children that come in our classroom, we understand that every child learns different. Every child is different. Every child comes from different backgrounds and prefers different things. It's the same thing as we grow up everywhere we are. We all learn differently. We care about things differently. Some things scare us in different ways. And so knowing your teachers, just as like you would knowing your students and really investing in caring, that was my favorite thing to do. I get so excited talking about it. Celebrating little wins. I mean, (laughs) I know that like, you know, and when I was a director at a Baker school, I didn't have time to be in the classrooms every day because there was, you know, sometimes 13 classrooms and there's a, with that many classrooms, there's that many parents and children. It it just, it's a bigger operation, Mm -hmm. but even at the end of closing, before I pick up my kids, I would walk around their buildings, walk around the building and check out what's going on in each of their classroom, their bulletin boards, their table activities for the next day. And I would make sure to have something just to compliment or say to them because their work is so valued and it matters so much. Um, 
celebrating their birthdays or their anniversaries. What's their favorite color? What's their favorite print? What's their favorite food? Put it on the calendar so everybody knows. The family calendar too. Everybody wear polka dots for Mrs. Jones because she's celebrating her seventh anniversary and we just adore her, you know? So we all wear polka dots to celebrate her. Or, um, you know, if there's so many employees having joint birthday parties in the staff room or even in the lobby, if you don't have a staff room, that's okay. Let the families join in. You know, thank goodness it's not COVID anymore. Let's all celebrate, right? And so um, make banners, do things like that. Um, just really get your family involved in events, in events too, because no one appreciates your teachers more than the families. Um, so, you know, if you're planning teacher appreciation week, start months in advance. If you're planning, you know, your holiday celebration, start months in advance, send out notes to your families. How can we celebrate them? We'd love to do a pamper day. You know, you'll have family bringing, families bringing candles or face masks, or just give you 10 bucks, you know, to go give something, you know, or it's not even about things, you know, the children making a craft at home and bringing it in for their teacher's birthdays. It's like teachers are just most, like we said, the people in this industry, they're the most caring, understanding people. They just want to be seen. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, doing those things to celebrate them the way that they would want to be celebrated. And some do not want a big celebration. Some just want a little moment with you where you tell them that you value them. You make sure that you're, they're using their personal time off. I see that you have three days. Those are going to expire in the next two months. Let's set some time for you. Everybody's families looks different, but maybe they really have been, you know, yearning for a visit to their mom to see their mom in Massachusetts. Let's give you a long weekend and then use those three days in October. And let's make sure you use that time off to see your mom. You know, your kids mm -hmm. will appreciate, yes, they're going to miss you, Miss Vanessa, but they will appreciate when you come back and you get to tell the stories about your mom and you got to take your dog and, you know, all of those things. So um, just investing in your people, know your people, invest in them um, in the ways that they want to be seen and felt. Um, so I say really um, just take that time to do that. Yes, for sure. I know my, so I, if, if anybody has heard of love languages, I know some people really yes. like it. Some people really don't. It's hot, controversial, but yeah. I love giving gifts. Like it, it brings me so much joy and I have a family. Okay. A husband and a mother who yes. are not big into gifts. And so, um, that was what I did for my teachers because like I got to do it for them. It was very exciting, but that takes budget. And sometimes we don't have budget. And so I think talking about ways where like, yes, we can celebrate them by buying them gifts or having lunch on their birthday or, you know, having a Christmas party. Sometimes that's just not in the budget. And so sure. the little ways that we can keep up with things, I think it comes down to like, just treat them like people, right? Yeah. Like right. we can fill people with joy and encouragement in small ways. Um, my director came up, our door frames were metal because we had to have like all fire doors. And so she went and bought those little magnet clips and put one on everybody's door so that we could write anonymous notes and clip them to people's doors that was like, hey, I saw Miss Sam do this cool thing. And I thought that was awesome. Um, and so it was just little ways like that. I mean, you could do it with like a sticky note and a piece of or a piece of tape or whatever you had. Absolutely. And then the one thing that, and again, like my director had so much to do with teaching me in the beginning how much impact those little things had. One of the things she 
continuously reminded me of when I was going from the teacher space to the administrative space was know the days that are the best, but also know the days that are the worst for your staff. So important. And know if, do they want to be here on those days? Do they want to be home on those days? Do they want a text that just says, hey, I know today's a hard day for you and I just want you to know I'm thinking of you. And if you need anything, let me know. And just little things like that where it's just going that extra step to say, like, I really care not just about what you do inside this building, but I care about who you are when you go home, too. I think such a huge impact. And it's stuff that, like, teachers don't always want, like, their parents, the parents of their kids to know, like, especially those hard days, you know. Um, But I think as as directors and as people who like we see them every day like it's easy we know those days we can tell when when one of our teachers walks in and they're not themselves we know just like when the kids walk in and they're not themselves we know absolutely no oh my gosh that was so valuable what you just said because honestly i think that we get caught up in celebrating you know all these big moments because there is a lack of that in you know education because we're doing all these great things and there's just like so many we need to make sure we notice them, but maybe it's the anniversary of, you know, someone who had passed away, or maybe it was just a bad day at school. If you have the ability to pull them in and just say, Hey, I care about you. What works best for you? Do you, do you want it? I can cover your shift tomorrow. Do you want to work? And maybe they'll say, I would just really love to be here for circle time and get to be with my little ones. But can I leave half day? I got you. I'm going to look into that. We're going to figure it out. Even that, but that means me stepping in and figure it's that your people matter. And when you do that, it it just makes, it's just such a magical scenario. Like you said, you knew that you could learn from your director. You all relied on one another. Those are the best schools and the children deserve to have teachers and leadership working hand in hand and caring about each other like that. And those, those are truly the best schools. Well, that's what we teach them to do in the classroom, every day, right? That's, that's the Tell goal. <laughs> Lead that's by example. To do. So I think, um, you know, how, ha- modeling that behavior out for them that's like the biggest way they can learn is to watch adults do it absolutely okay i have a hot take question for you tiffany okay what can you do as a director especially in somebody in corporate child care to advocate for early childhood education for example what do you do because we know that early childhood educators are underpaid and undervalued Yes. How can you as a director support the industry without being like the bad guy? You know what I mean? It's like, right. oh, I want better wages. Like we should have better wages. Yeah, Tiffany, give me a better check. You know, like give, right. what do you do there? How do you balance that working and being sort of the face of the representative, the bigger franchise? Right, right. I mean, that's a really good question um, because it's hard. There is, there's so much red tape in our industry and rightfully so, you know, we are working for children and families. Um, but you just have to be in your employee shoes and you have to be, you have to be in the shoes of who is taking care of these children. You have to put yourself there. And most of us as directors or multi-unit leaders, we were great teachers at one day. That's how we eventually kind of moved up to lead. Um, but really be an advocate. If you're being an advocate for teachers, essentially you're being an advocate for students because you want great teachers for those students. Um, So 
looking into every avenue of how you can be an advocate, you know, working with state licensing and then bringing information back to, you know, the higher ups within your corporation and say, you know, this funding is coming in in March. I'd really love to do this and, you know, and really just work together and sign documents and go to conferences and be a part of the change that you want to see. Um, but, you know, obviously keep everyone in the loop because if you're doing the work and no one else knows about it, you're not, you know, it's like the ripple effect. We need the ripple effect. So we need to keep people in the know. Would you mind signing this? Would you mind looking into this? I'd love to do that here. I see that Maryland is doing this. I'd love to make that happen here for us um, because it really takes us all working together and advocating for one another. And when we advocate for the teachers, we're advocating for students as well. So um, I, you know, it's kind of like a broad piece of advice, but I would say just really dig in deep, do your research and then spread the word. My question is, as a leader, what is it like being on the ground and what are your conversations like around professional development? And since coming on to Bertelson Education, how has your kind of thinking about PD changed? Yeah, I think like education, professional development falls to the wayside sometimes, you know, like you think this is a temporary, you know, like education in the world. It's like, oh, well, you know, you have to go to elementary school. You don't necessarily have to go to high school. Some people go to college. It's like, this is what this is. It's like you focus on it when you need to do it. And then it just is not in the forefront of your mind anymore. And I think that education, like professional development, should always be on the forefront of your mind. We should always be developing. There's at no point in life where, as educators especially, but anyone in any industry, as a person, human, we should never not be developing and learning and growing. And that's what professional development does for you at any point in life. It doesn't have to be formal professional development in the industry or in the field that you're working in continue to develop yourself, you know, whether it's like journaling or, you know, looking into something like a craft that you really like, let's develop, you know, our understanding of this and, you know, grow. And so um, just talking to people in the industry, I think that we have that commonality and that common ground where we think that education is so important. So professional development is so important to us. It's just a matter of making it like how we have it practical and engaging and accessible and efficient to people in the industry. I, I love having these conversations because we think education is so important. It's just as important for adults. So um, I love being able to talk to everybody across the board about professional development. You're, there's like a saying. I mean, I'm gonna if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. That is a yeah. saying that's true. Or yeah. if, I think I heard someone say once, if you're not learning, you're becoming irrelevant. And yes. I mean, in, a, in an industry where research is moving so quickly and in a decade we're going to have incredible new research it really is important to make sure that we're staying both as teachers and now as people developing professional development for teachers that we're staying up to date on what the best most recent proven research is in this field so that we can continue to offer the best possible help to teachers, training to teachers to create the best possible places for children to thrive. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What do you think 
teachers want to see from directors and what from a director's point of view is it hard for teachers to see sometimes yeah so i think i think that answer is sometimes one and the same i think that teachers want to see that their director isn't just a director that they understand the classroom just as much as they do that they were in the trenches wiping noses tying shoes you know this one's crying this one wants to have your attention it's like they were there um and they, you know, as much as those days were stressful, they love those days. You know, they miss being back in the classroom. Um, I think that teachers want to see that. They want to see, you know, you be a real person and approachable. And that, you know, if you go to give them a bath- bathroom break, that you can clean off the tables and that you're going to read a storybook or you're going to finish that bottle and you don't want to rush out of that classroom. But I think on the other end, I think that as much as teachers deserve to see those real moments of their directors being great teachers in the classroom that they love. Directors have a hard time doing that because of all the hats that they have to wear. Um, Because a lot of times no one knows how to do the things that they have to do. And so as much as they don't want to rush out of that classroom, they feel that they have to in order to run their school properly. Um, So that's where I'd love to have, you know, just the system kind of mold the roles a little easier where we could learn more about a director's role and the director can have more time then in the classrooms. Um, Cause I think that would be ideal for everyone. But I think that teachers do deserve to see um, that their director loved classrooms and loves the classroom still and would value being in the classroom with them and have that time with them. Um, but the director needs a little bit taken off their plate in order to do that. So um, just kind of, combining the two efforts. Yeah, I think it's hard from a classroom sometimes to see everything that goes on in administrative roles. Right. I had a very interesting um, experience once where a teacher um, had expressed that they felt that I did nothing, um, that my job was just to kind of sit and hang out. And yeah, I didn't ever That's my really... Job. <laughs> I didn't ever really have the chance to address it in the, in the way that I had hoped to. Um, And by just by saying, you know, like one, I don't ever want the teachers to feel like I'm just sitting in the office, you know, with my feet up and my cup of coffee hanging out, waiting for, you know, things to hit the fan. That's not what's happening. Um, But like you said, administrative staff, I think, as a whole, wears so many different hats. So when you go in, one day it might be budgeting for six hours, which everyone knows is the most fun thing you could do when you work in a a preschool. Um, I'd much rather be in dramatic play. Right. I'd much rather. (laughs) And then one day it might be like creating a marketing piece, because especially in small schools, you don't have a marketing person. You are... HR and marketing and finance. (laughs) And so, you know, I think that from the teacher side, a lot of times you're right that it can feel like, well, why aren't you in here? Why aren't you helping? Why aren't you, you know, Mm -hmm. and from the director's side, it can be frustrating being like, I would so much rather be holding babies (laughs) than doing math all day or, you know, talking to a frustrated interviews or yeah. Yeah. You know, I used to look forward to the days where I got to go in ratio. Yes. Classroom and, and it's that was fun. Needed there. Um, the yeah. office is usually not 
fun. And like the things that happen there are not, you know, they're not as fun as what happens in the classroom. So I think that that's a really interesting conversation. And um, I don't know, maybe we can brainstorm together some ideas of how we could bring that conversation to the podcast. Um, I'd love that. To kind of talk to some administrative staff and some teachers and, and, and go back and forth on, you know, why are the roles different? How do they both serve the school and the kids and the families in really important ways? And like, how, how might you guys want to work together in ways that are new or different or innovative? Um, Because really schools are all about collaboration for the kids. That's why at the end of the day. Yeah. And perspective is reality. So we just need to change the stigma. Like we need to go in and change that because that's how, when we all work together, that's when it works best. I agree. That's when the magic happens. As my, my small person says all the time, teamwork makes the dream work. It sure does. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Tiffany, thanks so much for your insights and your perspectives as a director and a teacher. I think this has been a really insightful episode for our listeners and we're excited to to see you we're going to be doing some lives and other things and tiffany is going to be leading those yeah thanks so much for coming tiff of course thanks for having me this was a blast what a fabulous episode digging into the ins and outs of working in early childhood education wearing different hats and how we all work together to create safe places where children can thrive as tiffany said teamwork makes the dream work I am so excited to have Tiffany back again to talk more about questions teachers may have for directors and things directors might want teachers to know. Or maybe just talking more about different positions in early childhood education and how communicating about what we do and how we do it can benefit everyone. We would love to have your input on this topic. So if you have ideas for a Q&A, please send me a DM on our Instagram, which is at Bertelson Education, because I would love to put your questions on the list for that future episode. If you found today's conversation as inspiring as I did, please consider subscribing to Out of Ratio on your preferred podcast platform. Subscribing ensures you'll receive notifications when we drop a new episode every Tuesday and that you won't miss future episodes where we continue to explore crucial topics in early childhood care and early childhood education. We also welcome your reviews and your feedback. We love to hear them. Your support helps us reach a broader audience of parents, educators, and advocates for quality childcare. Until our next episode, remember that the early years are the foundation for a lifetime of learning and growth. Thank you so much for joining us today. See you next time.